Would you join me in a word of prayer before this morning's message? (coughs) Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday... um, we wrapped up the book of First Chronicles, and today we start in on Second Chronicles. In the Hebrew Bible and the original audience, it was one book. And uh, I don't know why we broke it into two, but we did. And uh, so we're going to continue in this vein of looking at Chronicles. We'll actually go through August, um, looking through Second Chronicles. And uh, in the fall, we will uh, begin something new. And... Uh, so that's the game plan moving forward with sermons. You know, if I were to ask you when the golden age of America was or is, what would you say? What would you say was the golden age, the golden era of America? If, if you listen to much Christian radio, it feels like a lot of Christian radio wants us to return to the 1950s. That that is seen as the golden era of America. And perhaps it was. Uh, We had just wrapped up World War II. There was relative peace in the world. There was prosperity. Uh, It was the boom of uh, the middle class. Uh, Many folks were getting their share of the pie. Many people were experiencing uh, the American dream for the first time with home ownership on the rise, with college graduation and college attendance on the rise. Good jobs were uh, in great supply. Uh, Things were booming. And perhaps the 50s would be seen as the golden age of America. Some of you lived through the 50s. Uh, Do you think that would be where you would place the golden age? Of America, I was not born yet, and I wouldn't be for uh, almost two decades. I am rubbing it in. <laughs> I would not see the world until 1969. And if you listen to James Dobson or other cultural critics, they will often place the slide, the moral decay, the downfall, the the beginning of the bad time of American history in 1968. Thank God it was not 69 because it doesn't completely correspond with my birth because I do not want to have that guilt placed on me. And many people, I think many Christians would say that, yes, uh, America's best days are behind her. That the best days are long gone, are no more. What do you say? What do you think? I've had dinner with many of you. I've uh, sat around with discussions with many of you at different times. And I know that many of you feel like the best days of America are behind her. And perhaps that's true. But there's one country. There's one nation that could really easily point back to their glory days. And say they were clearly in the past. There was one nation that without a doubt could point back and say, remember the good old days? 
And this was a nation that had been around for a very long time. In fact, from the point of its inception uh, as a true nation, uh, when they first got some land, all the way to the point of their golden age, it was 480 years. So we could only hope that America's golden age would be 480 years from its founding, right? Because we would still have a ways to go. And this nation, uh, the nation is Israel. And the golden era that all Israelites would point back to would be the reign of King Solomon. Without a doubt, they would point back to the reign of King Solomon because it was a time of unprecedented peace. It was a time of unprecedented military might. It was a time of unprecedented prosperity for the people of Israel. Solomon put Israel on the map. Solomon was a powerful leader. Solomon was a mighty king. In fact, the scriptures tell us there was no other king like him then or now. Do you believe that? It's in the Bible. There was no other king as mighty as King Solomon. As powerful as King Solomon. As wise as King Solomon. As just as King Solomon. You know, if you were wanting to set up a monarchy today, who'd you pick as your king? If you want to pick a king out of all of history, which one would you choose? You'd be wise to pick King Solomon. You'd be smart to pick David's son. Today we're going to read in 2 Chronicles 1 about the golden age of King Solomon. And one thing that we have seen in the past as we've looked through the book of Chronicles is that the chronicler regularly edits what he's writing. Now, some people freak out when they think the Bible's edited, and you don't need to freak out. It is edited because it is written to the folks who are returning from exile from, the, from Babylon. He was writing to people who have seen the glory. To, actually, these folks were not alive, kind of like me, when the glory days, the good old days, were happening. They're long gone. They've been prisoners. Their grandparents were drug off into captivity in Babylon. Their parents have lived in captivity their entire lifetime. They haven't even seen Jerusalem. They've never seen Solomon's temple. They don't even have photos. Nobody ever put it on Facebook for them. There's no video evidence. They've just heard stories. They've just read descriptions. They didn't even have it. Leave it to beaver reruns. <laughs> to help them remember the good old days. And now they show back up in Jerusalem. And you're writing to them and you're trying to encourage them and you're trying to instill some national pride in them. You're trying to help these, these slaves remember who they are. You're trying to help these people want, crave, desire 
bring back the good old days. How would you do it? I think we struggle in our own culture with trying to help younger generations recapture or reclaim or desire the good old days. And how would you go about that? What narrative would you tell? What stories would you invoke? How would you go about writing that story? And the chronicler, one of the ways he tells the story is he leaves out negativity. He leaves out the bad parts. So like when I listened to James Dobson on Focus on the Family when I was a kid, he left out the bad parts of the 50s. He didn't talk about race riots. He he didn't talk about segregation in the schools. He, He didn't talk about the racial tensions in our country. He talked about the good old days. It was an edited version of the golden era. And this is what the chronicler is doing. He is writing an edited version in order to help the people go, yeah, those were the good old days. I mean, yeah, there was a, there was a dark underbelly to the good old days, but they were the good old days. The dark underbelly that is not told here, but the chronicler is not trying to pull the wool over your eyes because he regularly says, you can read all about it in the book of Kings. You can read about this in Samuel. You can read about it elsewhere. This is the story I want to tell. And this is the way I want to tell it. He's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He's trying to tell you that there was a clear succession from David to Solomon. And he leaves out the story that's found in 1 Kings 1, where Adonijah tries to usurp and take the throne away. And civil war erupts for a brief time in Israel. And Solomon and his armies have to kill some of David's own household. He leaves out some of the the ugly. And it feels like, wow, it just goes from David to Solomon and everything's peaceful. And the reason he does that is because he wants to invoke the golden era. He doesn't want to get you all bogged down and yeah, there was some bad stuff. And how do we, how do we figure that stuff out? He wants you to just understand that Solomon was God's guy. And so we read in second Chronicles chapter one, Solomon, son of David established himself firmly over his kingdom for the Lord, his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Here's the grace already in this passage. Who made Solomon great? God. Who was working behind the scenes? Who does the chronicler want you to to understand is establishing Solomon as king? God. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel. And that's a phrase that we saw again and again and again with David. Because the chronicler wants you to understand that when you come back from exile, you will probably have disunity. You'll probably have disagreements as who to follow and who to listen to and how to get the job done and, and why to do it. And, and the chronicler is regularly saying all of Israel was united behind David. All of Israel was be- united behind Solomon. If you want to get something done, it's going to take all y'all 
Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, to the judges, and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly, do you, do you get the sense he's trying to make it clear that this is all Israel? The whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon. For God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. <laughs> they go to the tabernacle, which is at Gibeon, which is a, a small town that's a few miles away from Jerusalem. They go up on this hill and they go to the actual tabernacle that was built roughly 480 years earlier. To worship God. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath Jerium to the place he had prepared for it because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. We read that where King David danced and David brought in the ark with great rejoicing and he brought it to a tent in Jerusalem. And this is a different tent. This is a tent of meeting in a different location, Gibeah and Solomon and the whole assembly of Israel goes there. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, just fake it if you can't come up with their names, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, if you were to figure out who this Bezalel was, he is the artisan that is listed in Exodus who built the articles of bronze that were used in the worship of God. This is an old altar, 480 years or so old. You think our church has traditions? You think, you think Christians have traditions? These are some old traditions. 480 years. So they go to this place. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him, of the Lord there. We saw how earlier the chronicler wanted to demonstrate a difference between Saul and David. And the way he demonstrated that difference was Saul didn't inquire of the Lord. David did inquire of the Lord. So here the chronicler is telling you Solomon does something like David did. What does he tell you that Solomon does? Solomon inquires of the Lord. That should immediately send off a buzzer, a ring, something in your head. Hey, that's important. David did that, and that was a good thing. Saul didn't do that. That was a bad thing. Solomon is doing a good thing. Solomon is inquiring of the Lord. And not only that, he's inquiring of the Lord in front of the tabernacle, in front of the bronze altar. He's invoking, he is linking himself to Moses, to Joshua, to the exile, to the exodus. He is linking himself to all of Israelite history with this. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. I wonder how long that took. Maybe just a day, because then it continues. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him. Now, watch the order here. God appeared to Solomon 
and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Who's taking the initiative? God. God is taking the initiative. Uh, Why is he taking the initiative? Well, some commentators think because he's really, really pleased with how awesome the worship was. Maybe. That could be why. I, I think another possibility is because Solomon is David's kid. And Solomon is the one that David... That that God wants to reign and God is solidifying Solomon's rule and reign. And he is legitimizing Solomon by appearing to him just like his did his father, David. And he's appearing to him and he's asking him, what do you want? Name it. Man, isn't that the American dream right there? Wouldn't you love it if God just. Hey, Steve. Yeah? Huh? What? What do you want? Whatever you want. What do you want? Huh. Okay. Uh, how much time you got? I got a list. I got a bunch of stuff I'd like. I've been hanging out with this guy named Mike. He's got a lot of guitars that I really like to have. There's a lot of stuff I want. How would you fill in? If you got a blank check from God, how would you fill it in? Don't you think the story is set up that way to make you think that? I think it is. Because isn't that what we really want from God, a blank check? I mean, come on, let's be super honest. Isn't that what we really want from God, a blank check? Where we can just fill in it. It's already signed. It's not even dated yet. It's just got the signature. And it says, this is, this is legal tenor, tender everywhere you go. What would you put on that? You see, some of you have difficult situations in your health. And so some of you would write down, I want health. I, I want cured. I want, I want strength. I want energy. I want vitality. Boy, I might even... Be free to run. I might actually take you up on running during that song if you were to fill that in for me. Uh, Some of you, you think in terms of that's a check, so I want to think about money because some of you, some of us are in difficult straits with money. And we get to the end of the month and the check didn't get there with us. The check stopped around the 20th. And the... 21st and the 22nd we're just eking it out and it's in some months it's just getting worse and worse and further and further behind when the check stops and so we think boy you know is a billion too much some folks think you know what i'd give anything for my prodigal son or daughter to follow christ So some of you might take that check and you'd write a name on there or maybe a a slew of names like, oh, my, my husband, my wife, my kid, my grandparent. I want them to know Christ. And, And maybe you'd put them on there. 
My guess is all of us have something we'd write on that blank check. For instance, what kept you up last night besides fireworks? <laughs> and if it didn't keep you up last night, what keeps you up some nights? The thing you worry about, the thing that haunts you, that thing that nags at you, that thing that you just, you just want to wake up and it be done, over, fixed, gone. What's that thing? You know, that's probably the thing you'd put on that line, on that blank check. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know what Solomon put on this check. Can I be really honest? When I was in Sunday school, I thought that was stupid what Solomon put on the check. Can I be honest? I'm 45 years old. I still think what he put on the check was rather stupid. Because when I think of a blank check from God, it's not what I would write on it. And my guess is you're like me. And you wouldn't write it either. What does Solomon write on that check? Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and you have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me here. He writes in on the line wisdom. And knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Can I just can I just tell you how wise he was to know that was what to write on the check? In fact, the way this is actually told is that it's not quite as blank as we like to think it is. The way it's told in 1 Kings 3 is that it sounds like there's, there's a little string attached from God. of let, This is like a test, Solomon. Are you going to treat me like a magic genie? Are you going to want to invoke religion or me so you can get some stuff, some health, some prosperity? Or are you... Are you going to ask for what you really need? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, hearts, this isn't like lip service. This isn't like, well, I really want this, but I'm going to ask for this because more likely God's going to do that for me. You know, like my kids, how they work it with mom and dad sometimes. What I really want is this, but I think dad will do this. So let's go for this instead of that. My heart's desire is really. I mean, the interesting thing is God can't have the wool pulled over his eyes. Let that sink in for a moment. Because if you're like me, you don't really believe that. Because as you were growing up, you pulled the wool over mom and dad's eyes regularly. And he's your heavenly father. So it's just a bigger game now. It's just got a little different rules now. But the wool still can be pulled over. 
That's what we think in our heart of hearts. It started with Adam and Eve. He won't know. He won't know. (laughs) That just shows how foolish we are. You see, God looked into Solomon's heart and he goes, you know what? That's really your heart's desire. That just boggles my mind. That wisdom and knowledge is what he really wanted. And you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor. See, God knows. God knows what the vast majority of us would put on that line. Nor for the death of your enemies. That one didn't come to my mind, but... Probably because I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to say stuff like that. And since you have not asked for a long life, health, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Notice the language there. My people whom I made you king over. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. Dun, dun, dun. Shazam, you got it. But then God has another ace up his sleeve. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who, has, who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Uh, last I checked, one of the tenets of the Christian theology is that God knows the future. So God knew that no future king would equal Solomon in this way. Maybe that's hyperbole. Maybe it's true. Either way, it's quite the statement for God to make. Wow. So you mean if I fill in the line wisdom and knowledge, then I'll get the rest. Okay, cool. Awesome. No, remember that heart's desire part. Now, what happens? <laughs> that, wouldn't you? I, I still want this to happen to me somehow. Right? Don't you want this to happen to you? God show up, boom, what do you want? Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Now this chronicler wants to let you know, as a result of this prayer, what happened. So he gives you a quick summary of Solomon's reign. He's not done with him, but he wants you to know that this is what happened. Now, the interesting thing is when you read this in first Kings, the wisdom part comes in first Kings chapter three. And then this description of all this stuff doesn't happen until first Kings 10. Seven chapters. So the chronicler is speeding up time. He's doing a time crunch for you because he wants you to go, wow, God did what he said he's going to do. And he just wants to get to the point because that's what he wants his readers, his hearers, his listeners to get. So he says this, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. Think of the chariot as the M1 Abrams tank of the ancient world. And until this point, Israel didn't have any. Didn't have chariots. They used to burn the chariots and hamstring the chariot horses. I guess because they didn't 
have any drivers that knew how to handle these things, so they just blew them up. And Solomon says, we're going to change that. We're going to become a superpower. And the way we're going to become a superpower is we're going to have the best weaponry out there. So he gets chariots. And not just a couple, 1,400 and 12,000 horses. 12,000 horsepower for the chariots. Which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king, so that's what he did militarily. He makes Israel a superpower. Second, what does God and Solomon do? The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Great prosperity flows into Israel. And if you are familiar with the Middle East map, they're at the crossroads of the ancient world. And Solomon leverages that. Solomon helps Israel to prosper like never before. And one of the ways he does this is three, the next verses, international trade. It says this, they imported, or excuse me, let's go back. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Q, Q, whatever. The royal merchants purchased them from Q at the current price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. Solomon becomes an arms dealer. He takes advantage of his place in world in in the geography and he starts to sell horses from the Egyptians to their enemies over here and vice versa and he's prospering and all of Israel with him. Why? Because Solomon asked for wisdom on the blank check. Why did the chronicler write this to his audience? To the exiles who were returning to find Jerusalem in shambles, to find their villages destroyed, to find uh, some of their cropland had been sown with salt so they could not farm it. Why did he share this with the exiles when they show back up? My guess is, is because they wanted... To go back to the golden days. And my guess is that some thought the way to get back there is through religion. The way to get back there is to use religion so that God will set us back up with all the good stuff that we want. Do you think we do this today? Turn on Christian radio for 10, 15 minutes. Do you think we do this today? Do you think that some folks want to use Christianity, use God? I don't think we start out that way, but I think it can quickly become that. We start to use God. We start to use religion. We start to use Christianity so that we can have the American dream and Jesus too. We start to think, I deserve, this is mine, I want. And the way to get it is through God. You know, if we, if we can just get America to pray and humble herself, then God will hear us from heaven and he will heal our land. Oh, wait, 
That's in the book of Second Chronicles. I guess we'll have to talk about that in a few weeks. Is that really what God wants to do? Is set you up with a sweet ride and a nice house and cush retirement? Is that that's what he's around for? Is that really why God exists? Is that really his his purpose for being is to help you? Just FYI, if that's his purpose for being, he's doing a horrible job for the vast majority of humans on planet Earth today. Terrible job. As we've sat here in church, thousands of children have died from starvation. If that's God's job to make sure that at the end of the day, everybody had a good day, he is horrible at that. Miserable, failing with flying colors, almost like he's not trying. So I ask you again, is that God's purpose? Is that why he exists so that you can be comfortable so that America can be great so that you can have your cake and eat it too? Is that really why he exists? This book regularly screams the contrary. This book regularly says, "Uh uh-uh. I know that's in your heart. I know that's what you want. But no, that ain't why I'm here. You see really what's going on. And it's the same thing that's going on in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. You didn't see it there, but it's there. There's a battle for kingship in your life. There's a battle for who's king. And Solomon chose wisely. Remember what Solomon said? He said, you made me king over your people. And God echoed it. He didn't correct him. He came back and said, I made you king over my people. So who's king? Let's be gender politically correct or queen in your life who's in charge who's calling the shots who's deciding how you will spend your time your talents your treasure who is deciding that in your life a good way to wrestle through this is if you have that blank check what would you write What would you write? You see, if you're like most people, if you're like me, you would write stuff that King Steve wants. And this is where we get all messed up when we come to the New Testament and we read verses where Jesus says, ask whatever you want 
and I will give it to you. And we think, wow, it's like Aladdin's magic lamp. Only it's Jesus, so that's even better. And then we ask, and we get two or three around us, and we agree, and we really try hard, and we think, and we pray, and I still haven't got the winning lotto numbers. Even though my whole family of five have gathered together and agreed on it. And we've been praying with earnest. The only problem is we don't buy lotto tickets. That might be what <laughs> we think that God's some magic genie. And if we get the formula right, we can invoke it. We can make it happen. Here's a guy that actually got a blank check from God. Somebody already lived that dream. And he filled it in right. Will you? Will you fill in the blank check right? Because we all have that blank check. Did you know that? (laughs) Some of you are looking at me like, I don't believe this part of the sermon. Did you know you have that blank check? Paul the Apostle puts it this way. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. That sounds like a blank check to me. That sounds like power, unequaled power. (laughs) Do you know how awesome the U.S. Army would be if we could raise our troops from the dead? Do you think that's an undefeatable army? Man, I I think I shot that guy. I'm pretty sure I saw him blow to bits and he's back. What's going on here? That's undefeatable power. That's blank check kind of power. Begs the question, why are so many Christians so anemic? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? Here's what's wrong. Because the wrong king is on the throne. The wrong king. I've usurped King Jesus too often in my life. And it leads to anemic Christianity. Father, would you help us to fill in this blank check the right way? Would you help us to understand that you are king of this universe? Everything that exists, it's all yours. And for whatever reason, for a brief moment in human history, you have chosen to give us life. And then, for whatever reason, you have given us a choice as how to live it. May we choose you. May we choose you to be king. May we, as your people, the church, start walking 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. May golden days be ahead for your church in America. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we follow King Jesus. No matter where that might lead. Even if it's death on a cross. Amen.